reading this morning will be taken from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled, had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in, in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning, isn't it? To spend some time in worship to our God. Before we begin, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you. I want you to know how much I love you and how amazed I am at what we've been able to do over the past week. I know that this last week has been difficult in a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. But it's amazing to see Jesus' love at work. It's amazing to see what Jesus' people are able to do in tragedies like this one. Before we enter into our time of study, would you take just a minute to pray with me? Father, thank you again for today, and thank you for this time that we have to study together in Luke chapter 13 and to think about the words and teachings of Jesus. Thank you for the time we've been able to spend in worship. Thank you for the men who have led us in worship. Thank you for your word, and we pray that you'll help us as we go throughout the rest of this service. We pray that you'll help us to be focused on you, to cast out any distractions that might arise in our hearts and in our minds. There's a lot going on right now. There's a lot of different thoughts that we have and a lot of different feelings that we have, and we know that you know those things. We pray you'll help us to be focused on you, help us to be focused on our relationships with you, help us to leave here stronger than when we came in. Thank you for Jesus. It's through him we pray. Amen. Would you join me in Luke chapter 13? If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, Luke chapter 13. And this morning we're going to be looking at the first five verses. This scripture reading that was just read for us, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Why do people experience such great tragedy? Why do people experience such great destruction, such great devastation? Has that been a question on your mind this week? Has that been a question that you've been asking, a question that you've been thinking about? Tragedies happen. If you think back to September 11th of 2001, four American airplanes were hijacked. One of them crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. Two of them crashed into the World Trade Centers in New York City. And one of them crashed into the Pentagon just outside of Washington, D.C. You remember where you were whenever you heard about that? You remember what you were doing? Do you remember how you felt when you first heard about that tragedy? On October 1st of 2017, there were 22,000 people gathered for an open-air concert in Las Vegas, 
Nevada. From a 30-second story window of a nearby resort and casino, a 64-year-old man named Stephen Paddock decided to spray gunfire down on the crowd. He killed about 58 people. He injured another 700 people. That event went down as one of the deadliest mass shootings in United States history. A tragedy that just happened a few years ago and on October 1st of 2017. But then what we've all been thinking about, what's been on our minds, what we've been living in the midst of on December 10th of 2021, an EF4 tornado ripped through the city that we call home. The city that we loved, and it caused a lot of destruction. It caused a lot of devastation. Many people lost their lives. Many people either lost their homes or their homes were severely damaged. There were some who lost their businesses. This is what we've been living in for the last nine days. And here we've been trying to do everything that we can to respond to that. We've been trying to do everything that we can to meet the needs that have arisen because of what happened on the evening of December 10th, 2021. I don't know about you, but whenever I look at all of those tragedies, when I think about what we've been dealing with over the past week, the question that comes to mind is why? Why do people experience such great tragedy? Why do people experience such great destruction and devastation? You know, I think that's the question that's on the minds of the audience that Jesus is addressing in this section of Scripture. In Luke chapter 13, verses 1-5, through 5, Jesus talks about two different tragic events in this section of Scripture. Two tragic events where many people lost their lives. The first two verses of Luke chapter 13 talks about an event that we don't really know a lot about. All that we know about this event in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, is found in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It seems there were some Galileans who were traveling to Jerusalem to worship. They were traveling to the temple. They were going to make sacrifices to God. They were going to worship God. They were going to offer God what He commanded, a sweet-smelling aroma to Him in the place where He had chosen to make His name known. And it seems that as soon as they entered into Judea, the district, or as soon as they entered into the city of Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea at the time, sent an army. And that army slaughtered every single one of those Galileans. The text says in verse number 1 that Pilate had mingled their sacrifices with their blood. That day the Galileans expected for the blood of their sacrifices to be spilled. That's what they were going to do. They were going to offer those sacrifices to God. What they didn't experience, what they didn't expect on that day is for their own blood to be spilled. But yet, that's the tragedy that happened. You skip down just a couple verses to Luke chapter 13 and verse 4. Jesus talks about the district of Siloam. Siloam was a part of the city of Jerusalem. Perhaps you remember the pool of Siloam from John chapter 9. That's where Jesus sent the man who has been born blind to wash the mud off of his face. That's the first place where he was able to see throughout his entire life. Just like there was a pool at Siloam, we find in Luke 13 that there was a tower in Siloam. 
And for some reason, that tower ended up collapsing. That tower ended up falling. And when the tower fell, Jesus says in verse 4 that it killed 18 people. It claimed 18 lives. It seems when you read through those five verses, the question on the audience's mind is why? Why did it happen to these people? Why did it happen at this place? Why did it happen at this time? Why do people experience such great tragedy? Such great destruction? Such great devastation? One of my jobs over the last nine days is I've been going out into the community. I've been going door to door, seeing what people need, trying to see the supplies that they're in need of. And this is a question that's come up time and time again as we've had conversations. Almost every door that I go to, it's the question that they're asking in Luke 13, maybe the question that you're asking right now, the question, why? You know how a lot of people answer that question? Well, maybe it's because they deserve it. Maybe it's because a group of people sin and God is punishing them for that sin. I think that's what they're thinking. In Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, based on how Jesus answers them, it seems that this crowd is thinking, okay, these Galileans were murdered, or this tower fell on these 18 people because they're just worse sinners than everybody else. They deserve it. Like I said, going door to door, this is something that's been suggested, something that people have mentioned time and time again. It's oftentimes called the theory of divine retribution. Where if I'm going through something tragic in life, God must be punishing me for some kind of sin that I've committed. If I'm going through some kind of devastation, if I'm suffering in life, if I have pain in my life, that is God punishing me for some sinful wrong choice that I've made in the past. When we look at Scripture, specifically the Old Testament, sometimes that is the case. Sometimes in Scripture, people do suffer as a result of their own sin. Sometimes in Scripture, people do experience tragedy as a result of their own sinful choices. I think about the many different times where God punished His chosen people, the nation of Israel, as a result of their sin. One that comes to mind is Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1, where the Bible says that the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Part of the Israelite camp was set on fire. Do you know why it happened? It was because of their sin. It was because they were complaining against the Lord. They suffered. They experienced tragedy on a collective level as a result of their own disobedience. But it's not just on a collective level. If you fast forward just one more chapter, we find this happening on an individual level. You think that the Israelites would learn their lesson. But if you fast forward just one chapter to Numbers 12, 9 and 10, Miriam, Moses' sister, is complaining against, uh, against his leadership. And the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and He departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam and behold, she was leprous. There's a reason that Miriam contracted leprosy. And it was because God was punishing her for her thoughts of rebellion, her sin, her own wicked choices. 
the very reason that the Israelites had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, the very reason that the Israelites were not able to immediately enter into the promised land was their own sin. God was punishing them for their own wicked choices. Another example that comes to mind is David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. The number of sins that he committed throughout that story, God told him in 2 Samuel 12 and verse number 14, He tells him, you've been forgiven. I've forgiven you of this fault. Nevertheless, though, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Why is the child going to die? Oh, it's not just happenstance. It's not just something that happened. It is because David scorned the Lord in the decisions that he made. And so we find in the next verse that when the child was born, the Lord afflicted. So this is something that God did. God afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. And he became sick. And then a few verses later, even though David very fervently prayed for the child to live, verse number 18, on the seventh day the child died. And it was all a result of David's own sinful choices. There are other examples that come to mind, too many to list, but just to name a few, the northern kingdom of Israel went into captivity to the Assyrians as a result of their sin. The same is true with the southern kingdom of Judah. They went into captivity to the Babylonians as a result of their sin. In the book of Obadiah, that one chapter book is all about how God is going to judge the nation of Edom for their sin. Nahum is about how God will judge the city of Nineveh for their sin. Amos chapter 1 and chapter 2 mentions eight different nations that God pronounces oracles against. How He is going to judge them and punish them for their wickedness. Sometimes the Father disciplines His children. We find that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Proverbs 3 verses 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. If you're a parent, you know what this looks like. Whenever your child does something wrong, usually you don't just let them to continue to do that. You're going to punish them. You're going to reprove them. The wisest man to live besides our Lord Jesus says that's exactly what our Heavenly Father does. He's going to discipline us. He's going to reprove us. And He says we don't need to neglect that. He says, we don't need to reject it. We don't need to turn it away. Why? Because the Lord reproves Him whom He loves as a Father, the Son, in whom He delights. Because God loves us so much, whenever we stray from the path that we're supposed to be on, sometimes He's going to discipline us. Sometimes that's going to bring tragedy into our lives. Why do people experience such great tragedy. Sometimes in Scripture, it is because they deserve it. Sometimes in Scripture, it is God punishing them for the sins that they've committed. The key word there is sometimes. Is that always the case? Is it always the case that whenever we experience tragedy and destruction and devastation, that that is always God punishing us for something that we've done? Let's take a step back for just a minute. Think about the character of Job. Job suffered a lot, didn't he? He lost all of his possessions. He lost all ten of his children at one time. He lost his health. He was covered from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet in loathsome sores. He lost his wife. His wife asked him, why are you still holding fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. 
Throughout the rest of the book almost, his three friends are sitting around with him in the ashes, pointing their fingers at him, saying, you must have done something to deserve this. You must have done something wrong. The only reason that you're suffering is because you have offended God. But then you go back to the very first verse of the book, Job chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man suffered and deserved it. Now the Bible says that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job didn't deserve the suffering that he went through. He didn't commit some kind of sin and invite this tragedy from God into his life. Think about the blind man. We mentioned the pool of Siloam a minute ago in John chapter 9. Look at what the Bible says beginning in verse 1. As he, talking about Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples are assuming the very same thing that this audience is assuming in the first five verses of Luke chapter 13. In order for him to be born blind, he must have done something wrong. Or his parents must have done something wrong. For him to experience such a great tragedy in his life, never being able to see. How did Jesus answer that? Well, he said in verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Who sinned that caused this young man to be born blind? We want to know, what's the root cause of this? And Jesus says, it's neither. It's not that he sinned, it's not that his parents sinned, but it's so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As Christians, we suffer sometimes, don't we? Is it because we're doing things wrong? Well, no, it's actually quite the opposite. In 1 Peter 3.17, the Bible says it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. As Christians, we don't suffer for doing evil. We suffer for doing good. We suffer for doing what's right. That is God's will in our lives. Jesus is the epitome of that. Jesus is the ultimate example of what it looks like to suffer unjustly. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says that Christ also suffered once for sins. Why did Jesus suffer? Is it because God was repaying Him for something? He had committed some kind of sin and God brought this suffering and tragedy into His life as a result of that? No, the Bible says that it was the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus certainly suffered for sin, but it wasn't His own sin. It was our sin, my sin, your sin. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, for our sake, He made Him, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned, but He was made sin on our behalf so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We see that in the text that was read for us in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Jesus looks at this audience and asks them a question, a question that they would have said yes to. Yeah, that's, that's what we're thinking. We, we think that's why this happened. He said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? He says, throughout the entire region, throughout the entire district of Galilee, do you really think that these Galileans were killed by Pilate because they're worse than everybody else? What's the answer that Jesus gives? It's contrary to their expectations. He says in verse 3, no. That's not what happened. 
That's not the case. It's not that they were killed by Pilate because they're worse sinners than everybody else. He asked a similar question in verse number 4. He says, what about those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Do you really think that the tower in Siloam fell on these 18 people because they're worse off than everybody else? Because they're worse sinners than everybody else? What's the answer that Jesus gives once again? Verse 5, no. He says, that's not why it happened. Why do people experience such great tragedy maybe the first thought that comes to our minds as well is it because they deserve it is it because they've done something wrong and god is punishing them for that choice whenever we look at scripture while sometimes that is the case it's not always the case and so when we look at this question why do people experience great tragedy why do natural disasters happen why do shootings happen why do terrorist attacks happen on this earth i think the answer that we have to give and maybe it's not an answer that we're satisfied with but the answer that we have to give when we look at scripture is i don't know i don't know why 9-11 happened i don't know why the shooting in las vegas happened in 2017 i don't know why a tornado and ef4 went down Broadway in Mayfield and caused so much destruction and devastation. When we look at tragedies in this life, they happen to so many different people, so many different places, to so many different degrees, and we can't put our finger on it. We can't put our finger on a specific reason and say, hey, here's why this happened. Here's why this took place. God hasn't revealed it to us. We don't know. We can't be definitive about it. But as we look at this text in Luke chapter 13, can I tell you something that we can be definitive about? Can I tell you something that we can be sure of? Jesus is talking to an audience about different tragedies that happened in Jerusalem. And what Jesus wants them to reflect on is what I think we could call the greatest tragedy. Tragedies that we experience here on earth should make us think about, it should warn us about the greatest tragedy that the majority of people are going to experience in the life to come. And what we'll see in this text, that is an eternity separated from God. The greatest tragedy that a person can experience is not experienced on earth. There's a tragedy that's far greater than a natural disaster or a shooting or a terrorist attack. There's a tragedy that is far greater than death itself. And that is the tragedy of spending an eternity in hell. I mean, think about how it's described. Think about what a tragedy this is in view of what we've seen over the last nine days. Hell is the lake that burns with fire and sulfur in Revelation 21. It's a place of eternal punishment, Matthew 25, 46. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 13 and verse 50. It's a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched in Mark 9. It's a place of outer darkness, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12. It's a place prepared for the devil and his angels in Matthew 25, 41. 
It's a place where the disobedient will be separated from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, the greatest tragedy is not one that's experienced on earth, but it is one that the vast majority of people will experience in eternity. And that is an eternity separated from God. So let's tweak our question just a little bit. We've been thinking earthly, haven't we? We've been thinking about physical tragedies. We've been asking the question, why do these things happen? Why do they happen to these people? Why do they happen at this time? Why do people experience such great tragedy? What Jesus wants us to do in Luke 13 is to think beyond that, to ask a bigger question, why do people ultimately experience the greatest tragedy? You tell me why natural disasters happen. You tell me why mass shootings happen. I'm going to tell you that I don't know. I'm going to tell you that I can't be definitive about that. But answering this question is something that we can be definitive about. Because it's something that Jesus answers not once, but twice in this section of Scripture. He says the same thing in verse 3, the same thing in verse 5, unless you repent. Metanoeo. Change the way that you think so that you'll change the way that you live. What does repentance look like? Repentance means I change the way that I think about Jesus so that I'll change the way that I live for Jesus. Repentance means I change the way I think about sin so that I'll change the way that I live in response to sin. Repentance means I change the way I think about spiritual things so that I'll change the way that I live in view of spiritual things. Why do people, why will people ultimately experience the greatest tragedy that the human mind can imagine? Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The reason that people will ultimately experience the greatest tragedy, Jesus says, because they refuse to repent of their sins. They refuse to fall down on their knees in submission to God. They refuse to live the kind of lives that God wants them to live, to accept God's will for daily living and daily choices. Consider what the New Testament has to say about repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10 says that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Let's take that piece by piece here for just a minute. Godly grief. You know what that is? Godly grief is not, I'm sorry because I got caught. Godly grief is not, I'm sorry for my sin because now I'm having to deal with the consequences of my sin. No, godly grief is when I look at my sin and I realize what it's done to my relationship with God. Godly grief means I look at the sin in my life and it breaks my heart because I've broken God's heart. It breaks my heart because I'm not living the life He wants me to live. I'm not the person He wants me to be. So when I realize what I've done to God, when I realize what I've done to my relationship with Him, it leads me to what? Repentance. Change the way you think so that you'll change the way you live. I'm sorry for my sin because it's broken God's heart, and so that's going to make me change. Well, what does that lead me to? What's the next stair step? Jesus says if we don't repent, then we're going to perish. 
The opposite of that is here. If we do repent, we'll have salvation. Salvation that is without regret. Can I tell you, you'll never regret the decision to repent of sin in your life. It might not be an easy thing to do. In the moment, it might in fact be a very difficult thing to do. But you're never going to regret it because of what it leads to. Godly grief produces repentance. Repentance produces salvation. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8, John the Baptist says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Many times when we think about repentance, we think about coming down, for, coming down front and having people pray for us, but then continuing to live in the same way. Oh, I'm sorry for my sin, but then I continue to live in that sin. That's not what repentance is. How do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? Looks like every other tree to me. You can tell that an apple tree is an apple tree by the fruit that it has. You see, apples hanging on it. You know it's an apple tree. It's visible. It's outward. And the same is true with repentance. Repentance begins on the inside, but it can't stay on the inside. It has to work its way to the outside. Repentance bears fruit. Repentance is visible. Repentance is obvious in our lives and in the decisions that we make. It's something that nobody is exempt from. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 30, Paul tells the Athenians, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. This is not something that's optional. God commands it. This is not something that somebody is exempt from based on socioeconomic status or age or gender or ethnicity. He commands all people everywhere to change the way that they think. So that they'll change the way that they live. So it becomes very personal, doesn't it? What's the sin in my life that I'm holding on to? What's the sin in my life that I'm not willing to let go of? What is the sin in my life? What's the sin in your life that we need to repent of? How do we need to change the way we think so that we change the way that we live? Jesus gives us a choice in this section of Scripture. It's one that's very easy to understand. Jesus says we can either repent or perish. He says that's where I want you to set your sight when you think about tragedy. You can either change how you live and adopt God's will for your life, or you can experience an eternity separated from Him in hell. You can repent or you can experience the greatest tragedy that the human mind can even imagine. Tragedies happen. Take a look at our home. Oftentimes, we don't know why they happen. We can't put our finger on it and say, this is the reason. Jesus invites us to look beyond that. Jesus invites us not to think about tragedies on earth, but to allow those tragedies to point us towards the greatest tragedy. Maybe this tornado is something that needs to wake you up spiritually. Maybe this destruction and devastation is something that is designed to bring you to repentance. Something that's designed to bring you on your knees before God 
to say it's not about me anymore. Now it's going to be all about you. It's a decision we're all going to make. We can either repent or we can perish. I've heard a lot of people say that this has been the worst week of my life. Has it been one of the worst weeks of your life? Now take that and imagine an eternity separated from the presence of God. Can I beg you to make the right decision? Can I beg you to allow this tragedy to bring you to repentance? Repent or perish. We can help you with it. We'd love to. If you have questions, if you'd like to study the Bible, if you'd like for us to pray for you, find us after services, or you can come forward now. We'll help you in the front. As together we stand and sing.